Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. And I'm Sam Harrelson. So, um, completely out of context, a note that Sam has in our show notes for tonight, or today, is um, it just says lame-o, but it's it's not one word, it's lame-o. I'm not sure, like, is that really how that how you would spell that? I, well... I mean, you have to have the E, right? You couldn't drop the E, because then it'd be like lamo or lamo or right? something like that hold on let's let's ask uh the book of knowledge lame oh it's it, uh, so you know what i'm thinking i'm thinking uh yeah urban dictionary lame, is that how it has because it? Oh. Yeah. you could if you take that if you take the hyphen out or the dash out then it's lameo or lameo or lameo right like cameo when i was teaching i had a student once named lamangelo <laughs> Hey, there are the puppies. Yeah, the puppies are excited. Let's put your link in for uh, Urban Dictionary. Okay. Yeah, it's, right. it's lame. Let's you didn't that. know that? I didn't know that. No, I mean, I, I honestly, uh, I will confess here, lame is not part of my everyday vocabulary. <laughs> I know you're shocked. <laughs> well, okay, as a kid of the 90s, it was either poser or lame, right? And, right. and I'm trying to bring poser back. Um, but I like on Urban Dictionary, the 20 words related to lame are lame, loser, uh, the word that starts with a D that we can't say on the show. Uh, tool, stupid, boring, uh, D-bag, uh, geek, idiot, lame with with no hyphen. Uncool, um, dork, <laughs> there's another one I won't say, or Kennedy. Kennedy? Yeah, so let me click on <laughs> These are terrible. You can, uh, you know how people do like Wikipedia dumpster dives right. and you yeah. just spend three hours in Wikipedia. So I do that with Urban Dictionary. Um. Kennedys are very unforgettable. They are known for being shy yet secretly funny at times. They know how to make you smile and are very hard to stay mad at. Kennedys are said to be the very successful in life. Kennedys are known for being original. They are uh, leaders, not followers. Kennedys are very smart, yet they can be sometimes known for being slackers. How's that related to lame? <laughs> I don't know. That Kennedy is really something, is their example. Um, Kennedys are outgoing and awesome people to be around. They like to have a good time, and they are normally beyond gorgeous. <laughs> That gorgeous so, girl over there was a total Kennedy. So, what part of speech is lame-o? Uh, lame-o would be a descriptive term. Yeah, but it's I don't know. So it's an adjective, right? Or it could be. Yeah, an but adverb. I think. Yeah, but I I would have thought that lame-o would have been like the nounification of lame. Well, it's like a transitive. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Makes, yeah. Can you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is hilarious I, i've never heard of someone being a kennedy kennedys are known to, to get the guys with their stunning eyes and outstanding bodies this is so sexist all right well that's that's been our fun this week in urban dictionary that, that was so lame <laughs> but poser is a great word we should bring poser back poser is actually a great word yes i'm i'm with you on that because there's not really anything in, in for the young kids for the snapchatting kids these days that that expresses no, yeah, the like same basic. sentiment. Yeah. Basic does that, right? Well, yeah. Kind of. I mean... But see, I'm a nerd, so basic for me is a computer language. Yeah. You know, like I code in basic. I mean, I don't code in basic, but you could code in basic. Right. So, you know, I guess actually lame is a, a technology thing as well, but we won't get into that. Um, we, we had an interesting conversation with uh, uh, a religion professor who we both know well, uh, or online uh professor carrie schroeder friend of the show right the show. we can she's legitimately say that she's been on the show before we talked about her on our year in review show last week oh yeah that's right um so we were talking about evernote uh on the twitter and she was 
or I think you didn't you post something, Thomas, about the five percent? Like people who Yeah. Right. So uh one of the or no, maybe I don't know who posted Maybe I posted it. I don't know who yeah. it's been a day ago. I can't yeah. remember the far back. So um when the CEO of Evernote left in August or June. June, yeah. Uh stepped down. No, it was August, I'm sorry. Uh there was a lot of speculation about what's going on and the company is just kind of you know, it's been shuttering a lot of projects and a lot of apps and it doesn't have that cool vibe that it used to have. And if you don't know, Evernote is a, a fantastic sort of note keeping application that lives on your desktop, but it also has wonderful apps for iOS and Android and Windows Phone and most any operating system out there. So the nice thing is wherever you are, you know, you, you can jot things into your Evernote, whether it's audio or video or text um, or drawings even. So I use it, or I've been using it for years since 2008, I believe, for all sorts of things, uh, whether it's, okay, let me take a picture of this and store it. Um, you know, here is a document I need to keep. Let me store that and I can get to that stuff everywhere. So that's all well and good. But this article that one of us posted talks about how Evernote has a 5% problem in that most people say, well, I can use Apple Notes for that same thing, or I can use this, or I can use that, or I can use Dropbox, whatever. Um, and we're only scratching, you know, the, the 5% of, of the surface of what Evernote can actually do. So then you have these really hardcore people who are really into Evernote and use it every day, kind of like, I guess you do, Thomas, with the tags and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and you get really into the searchy part of it. Um, and those of us who say, well, I'm just going to go use this app because, you know, it's a to-do to list, but I can also save pictures and documents. So that's that fulfills my need. So Professor Schroeder was uh, kind of agreeing with that and, and uh, pointing out um, that it's almost as if if you have to go further than that 5%, maybe the app really isn't worth it uh, you know, to, to actually get involved with because for people like us, we want to get all in on something. So, you know, uh, to, to learn Evernote is like learning Excel. Um, and not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, we're adults, we're busy people, and we don't necessarily have time to sit down and take a Linda course on, on Evernote. Uh, and, and, you know, whether or not that's an issue. So we've seen services like Facebook that spin off things like Messenger or, you know, don't assimilate Instagram. And they try to keep everything sort of in separate silos so that you don't have that 5% problem. Um, but I just thought that was interesting because we've talked about this on the podcast a number of times with research and how people keep notes and where we keep notes and, you know, uh, how we get trapped into into silos. Um, but we, we've always come back to Evernote time and time again. And we, we actually used to use it for the show notes on the show because Thomas and I were both big Evernote users. Um, we've since switched over to uh, paper, which is a, a Dropbox thing, kind of like Google Docs. Um, but anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I didn't know if you had yeah, any more I thoughts. Mean, yeah, well, yeah, I have a lot more thoughts, but um, we'll save that for another show. Uh, that's a, that, that in the industry we call a teaser. Um, I think the thing with... So the article, and I think I looked back, it was you that originally posted it, and the article made a good point, right, in saying that that Evernote, like they have this five percent problem, is that everybody uses kind of like five percent of the of the application, but it's a different five percent for everybody, and for everybody, their five percent is indispensable, right? Um, but there, it was this article was kind of sounding the warning for other, I guess, startups and things like that, saying like you have to keep your 
your core focus and you can't be just spurred on by kind of, you know, the Valley mentality of like, you have to keep creating things and like, Oh, we created this, so we should use it. Cause not everything you create should be used. Right. So Snapchat creates all kinds of stuff and they don't employ, you know, implement most of it. Um, but kind of this core user experience. And that's, that's been the main thing. I mean, you and I, I, I was looking back, I, um, my first note in Evernote was November, 2008. Um, and, so, which is a real, you know, a long time now. I mean, we're going on, uh, let's, what's that? That's over seven years now that I've been using the service. So I have a ton of, uh, information and data in there, but, um, and, and you use it every day for your, um, for your dissertation work, right? Yeah. I mean, all my dissertation notes are in there, you know, class notes. I'm, uh, was taking notes in there this evening, um, rereading what my class is supposed to read for tomorrow. Um, some some of Foucault's history of sexuality, taking notes in Evernote there too, so that I can pull it up in class on whatever device I have and uh, look at questions that I you know wrote down for them to discuss or you know page numbers I want to reference or whatever. Um, so that's so I love Evernote, but the problem has been that it seems like they have lost sight of what their core function is, um, and that in doing other things, they have tried to incorporate that into their core function. Right. right? And right. that's, that's part of the problem. I, I think, and so, so we talked, like we were talking with, you know, Carrie Schroeder on um, Twitter last night and you and I've talked about this. Um, like we use Google, like, cause the article brought up Google and I was saying, I don't think Google is the best parallel here, here. And, and Carrie made some really good points about that. Um, but like with Google, what when they do these other things, they're um, they're separate from like search, right? Search is Google's main thing, and everything else. And Carrie made this fantastic point: everything else that Google does is designed to make them money through search, and that's great. But everything else that Google does doesn't affect the user experience of their core functionality, which is search, right? So if Evernote has all these other things, right? They used to have Hello, and they used to have Peak, and they used to have Food, and all this stuff, and they were separate apps, and that was fine. You know, Skitch, once they bought Skitch. Um, uh. But what they started doing was they started trying to incorporate all of that into Evernote. And that's when the core user experience began to get bogged down. Does that make sense? So so that's yeah. been part of my issue with it is that it's, it's not that they're doing other things, though I do think sometimes focusing on other things will hurt their, you know, kind of core development of, you know, whatever their core function is. Uh, but it becomes a problem. It becomes a big problem when it begins to when it begins to affect the user experience. Well, it, it reminds me of what Facebook is doing on the other side, and Facebook has been successful with this. Um, they have also surrounded themselves with apps that they've either acquired or built themselves or spun out. So everyone was complaining when Facebook took Messenger and spun Messenger out into a separate app and said, "No, no." Um, you know, that's not going to be a part of the Facebook app. You're going to have to go download this other app um, or, you know, Instagram or their pages thing. So, you know, we, we manage a lot of Facebook pages for companies and there's a separate app for that. Right. And Facebook just this week, it came out um, via the information, which is, you know, the, the uh, Pierre Omidar, uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald thing. But a, a special report was released showing that they had um, intentionally uh, yeah, put bugs yeah. into some Android users' <laughs> uh, apps, and they were trying to test how frequently those users came back over the period of a day or two. 
but they were like how, how much it would take for them to <laughs> stop coming back to facebook yeah and get, out, get out of stockholm right yeah and the, and the quote was they just kept coming back right. <laughs> which that you know that had to be scary um but you, you can imagine i mean if you're an avid facebook user like that there's that dopamine release of seeing the little red numbers up at the top right yeah uh so they were testing that and one of the speculations is that perhaps they were testing that because they are confident that one day Google's going to say, you know what, you guys, we, we love that you have such a successful app. It's got over 2 billion downloads from the Google Play Store for Android, but we're going to kick you out because you're competing with us. And Facebook is Google's biggest competitor. It's not Apple, it's it's Facebook. Yeah. And it's only going to be increasingly so once Messenger comes out with the new stuff that's going to be really awesome um, in 2016. And we'll, we'll talk about that on another show. Uh, but with uh, with Facebook, they have successfully created this coral reef idea of these apps around them. And I totally see them launching their own app store one day uh, because apps are the new platform. So, uh, you know, back in the day, Google had to have Android because Apple had iOS or iPhone and Microsoft wanted Microsoft phone or Windows phone. Uh, you know, and this company wanted its own thing. And Facebook actually tried to create kind of an Android operating system on top of Android. Um, Amazon has their own operating system with the Kindle stuff and the Fire stuff. So Facebook is taking that to the next level and the next iteration of that. And uh, that's going to be app stores. So Amazon has its own app store. Google has its own app store. Apple has its own app store. Facebook needs its own app store. It doesn't need an operating system because that's old school. It's like having a website now. You don't really need a website, right? Um, so uh, anyway, I, I just think that's going to be really fascinating to see what happens uh, in that Coral Reef approach of apps and usability and it, i think well, and, then, and then also notifications right and they've and got notifications too so right right i've i've said for a long time notifications are the new operating system um so i, I on my iphone i live in my uh today tab you know the little pull down shade yeah um on my android devices google now is my operating system i rarely rarely swipe over uh to find an app and i don't i don't have my apps aligned on my home screen anymore you know uh, so that's all blank, and I just pull down and or you know swipe right, I guess, to get to the search thing, uh, so that I can type in the name of the app I want to launch and and launch from there. Uh, so I, I think that's a good metaphor. Uh, the whole Evernote thing, of, uh, it's a good metaphor for professionals, whether you're in the academy or not. But I, I think especially for academics, uh, this idea of you know trying to be all things to all people. And seeing what other academics are doing in terms of writing books or, or doing this or having this podcast or having this website or having this blog um, and, and trying to emulate that, but not staying true to yourself. Right. Because, it, you know, I think Evernote now realizes it's better to have a strong core of dedicated fans like you and me who are willing to pay or willing to live in Evernote than trying to be, you know, trying to appeal to foodies and getting that new audience because foodies are really hot right now and everyone's blogging and Instagramming right. pictures of their food. So let's go tap into that market. And you, you can hear the marketing meeting as it's happened. Right. But the thing with Evernote, like, I don't know. I mean, we'll get off this in just a second, but, but I really think what Evernote could do, Evernote has the ability to become, to essentially replace an operating system for some people, right? If they do it correctly. But that's not just by adding on what a lot of users just consider bloat. But it right. and and the core their core functionality, which is dump everything in here and remember everything and have fantastic search features, that core functionality has to be perfect 
before you start adding on these other features. But I mean, this is what I was thinking about is, you know, if, if you're dumping everything in there, right? I mean, you could see, uh, you know, a few years down the road where you your Evernote would replace your Dropbox because all your files would be notes in there and they would have context and they would have tags and all this type of stuff. And um, you could set a reminder on a file that, okay, yeah, set a reminder on these files for when I need to do my taxes or whatever. Right? You could see this yeah. completely replacing an operating system yeah, down I've, the now road. Yeah, I've about that. Now, but, I think it's, from that point of view, it's really enticing. And I've, I've oh God, I think 2007, I was on some guy's podcast. He was from Thailand. And it was a fun podcast, but we could barely understand each other because I talk too fast and have a southern accent, and he's from Thailand. Uh, but we had a great conversation about cloud operating systems because uh, I was really puppies. I think Gmail is what did it for me. Okay, yeah. you know, way back in the day in 2004 when it launched, and I I just thought, wow, this is really revolutionary because whatever computer I'm on, I can get to my email, and then that you know trans referred over to mobile devices. So when I got my iPhone in 2007, I thought, wow, this is incredible. I can get my email that's, you know, synced up to my desktop and there's no interplay. And then the iPad came out and then we all got laptops. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in front of a MacBook, but I've got a, you know, PC downstairs. I've got a Linux box beside that. I've got this MacBook. I've got, you know, who knows how many tablets and phones and all that stuff. And Evernote allows me to have access to all that stuff, just like Dropbox does. Um, but like you said, there there are those advantages to it. So for 2016, I'm I'm really trying one last ditch. I'm I'm going all in because I, I remember when you and I were at Gardner Webb together, um, we both lived in Evernote and we took our notes in it and all that stuff. And yeah, remember that time though? I had to call support because uh, I accidentally deleted a notebook. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're like sorry. Well, then, and you had a, you had a situation what like just a week or two ago. Yeah, with so, uh, like two a.m. and you're like pulling something up and it wasn't yeah, there. I forgot about that. Yeah, so I had a a client PDF, and I was just trying to get it downloaded because I had uploaded to a server, and it was two a.m. and it was the last thing I was going to do. It was on my to do list. I could have waited till the morning, but I thought, no, nah, I'll go ahead and do that. That way, you know, that's not weighing on me in the morning, and it's a very simple two minute thing, right? So I'm trying to download it or trying to actually just pull it from the Evernote app on my MacBook over to the desktop, and it won't let me do that. And it says PDF is empty or something. So I think, okay, well, that's strange. Uh, so I go to the website. No, no, so then I go over to my PC, and I tried doing the same thing on the Evernote app on the desktop, and it worked, but it wasn't correct. And then I thought, okay, well, let me go to the website. So anyway, it turned into like a, a 30-minute long back and forth of just trying to get a PDF file. And, and finally, it was fine. It was completely fine on the website. And somewhere along the way, it had just synced wrong with uh, one of the devices, and it didn't carry over all the data inside of the PDF because it was, you know, big medical jargony PDF with a lot of markup and stuff. Um, and I don't know if that was a uh, maybe a Mac thing or whatever, but, uh, you know, it was, it was as if it didn't sync correctly. So, you know, long story short, it, it worked out, and I got it uploaded, but it was 30 minutes of... God, if I just put this in Dropbox, it would not have been an issue. <laughs> right, right, and that's what you know, you, and that's yeah. what they can't they can't afford to have users like you thinking that. Yeah, right? they, they pay what sixty bucks a year for the premium thing. Right. Yeah. So and and so I mean, I also think part of the part of the Evernote problem right now is that it's not only cloud based, right? And this yeah. is this is why we don't use it anymore for show notes because you can't collaborate in real time in a note because it downloads a note to each device and then yeah. I can. I can edit it, and then it has to upload, and then Sam can edit it. Um, it or it's, else you it's, get sync problems. Yeah, it's got that that two thousand eight, two thousand nine mentality of what the cloud was, right? Right. So it was 
you push it up and pull it down. And yeah, that's... yeah. So I send you that Microsoft document, and you can see my changes. You track changes, and then you download it, and you make your changes, and you upload it back. So I still do that countless hours a week with clients. Um, but I much prefer the Google Docs method of, okay, here's our document, and we can export this out to Microsoft Word or PDF or whatever we need to, but let's work on it here together, um, you know, synchronously or asynchronously or whatever. Um, but yeah, then that's... Right, yeah, well, like like my, so that, and then a lot of people can use Evernote for to-do lists because reminders and all that stuff. And I don't, I use uh, Vunderlist, and I love it because I can put something in on my phone sitting in front of my computer and watch it pop up on my computer almost instantaneously. Yeah, whereas right? on Evernote, you have to hit sync and wait. Exactly, and, yeah. yeah. So anyway, all right, uh, enough about that. Um, but Sam is going all in again on Evernote, um, and I am continuing to use it and trying. Mainly, I've not come. I've not left it because I can't find anything that replaces it, what it what I wanted to do. So yeah, no, I understand. Um, so yeah, I'll just like right, so I use Trello for all our to do stuff because again we we do iterative design uh, yeah. with our marketing stuff and and uh, Trello is fantastic for project based um, getting things done. So recommend that too that would work great for for classroom things and you can set up big trello boards with research and all that stuff so if, if you're in the university you know think about trello as well or or wonderlist or wonderlist however you want to say it yeah all right uh, okay that was 20 minutes on Evernote. So. <laughs> well one more thing have you seen the new this is ground riff yes the new this is ground riff is amazing i i you think, I think so? it's fantastic i think it's great I, I i really think i think it okay maybe not amazing I like it. I think that it it's a good um, riff on their mod, right? And it's and it fits perfectly between their like their phone wallet and then the mod, the tablet mods that you and I carry. Yeah. So if, if you're listening and you don't know what this is ground is, it's a leather company out of Los Angeles that Thomas and I uh, love, and um, they just had a new product product release. And it, Thomas and I both carry. It was it was my discovery, and Thomas bought it first, and then I finally bought that's, one. That's true, and then you finally were like, I've got to get one, too. <laughs> so now we have matching man purses. It's, it was really awkward uh, you know, at the restaurants. But, yeah. but yours is bigger. <laughs> it, well, that's what, that's what Trinity said. <laughs> um, she did. I'm not making a joke. Yeah. Uh, so basically, instead of a wallet, we carry... <laughs> <laughs> sounds so terrible uh carry these uh large things and i can put my ipad in it but it's like a it's like a folio like an old school folio but you can put your keys and your headphones and your notebook and all that stuff and so it's not like a bag it's not like a purse it's more like a like a notebook but it's really nice they're expensive but they're i think well worth it so yeah. We have different inserts and all that, so we have we don't have the exact same model. And like Thomas said, he's got the one for the iPad Mini because he has an iPad Mini, and I have the one for the large iPad because I use and love and, and devotedly carry my my not the, the Air, iPad not, Pro, not the Pro, but the which Air I'm looking iPad. into. As soon as they come out with a mod for the Pro, I might yeah. jump into that because I I love my iPad. It's all I travel with on the road. I don't take a laptop or anything anymore. Um, thanks, Evernote, and. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, they're, they're fantastic. So the Riff is like a smaller one, and it holds like a phone and a notebook and headphones and a business card. <laughs> I don't, right. know. Well, I don't know. But they have like a phone wallet, right? And it carries like your phone yeah, and your that's what I was wondering. ID. But that's really it. Like, but it doesn't like carry phone, the notebook. It's a wallet that puts your phone in, but it doesn't have a notebook, doesn't have like headphones or something. So, you know, I could see the, the Riff kind of would get people that are like, well, I want 
just a couple more things than what the phone wallet holds. What is it called? The stash, I think. Yeah. And, but I don't want to carry the big mod, even the iPad Air or the mini version. Um, so I think it's, I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, you know, they have free gums, help them design it. And so it's got their design stuff on the outside and that's fine. Um, I think it's a good, it, it fits in their product line well, I think. Yeah, so, that's, true. that's we'll, true. We'll see. We'll see how it does. But they did just they did just announce it. So I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't win one, you know, on Instagram. <laughs> and then some other some guy came up with a name because he said it was like, oh, it's like a riff on their new mod or whatever. And yep. so they gave him one for coming up with a name, which is appropriate completely. Yeah, but. and and they're very, from a marketing point of view, it's really interesting to watch what they do on Instagram. Um, and they don't have a marketing department. But they have a devoted following. I just thought it was interesting because I know we have a number of people in the show who are kind of like us, uh, who listen to the show, who are kind of like us and uh, are fixated with their everyday carry. So I couldn't find my pocket knife this morning and I was freaking out. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I totally rock this thing when I go into meetings and stuff now. Uh, you know, I, don't, I honestly don't carry things in my pockets anymore. I, don't I mean, I take mine into class because it's got my iPad in it. It's got a notebook yeah. in it. You know, yeah, I mean, every meeting I've got it. And, and uh Seriously, like half the meetings I take it into, uh, you know, where people see it for the first time, they say, well, what is that? And, you know, I kind of show them because, you know, I flop it open and pull out the iPad and put my phone in and, you know, it's kind of put it to the side. And that way you're not compulsively checking your phone and you don't feel the vibrations and all that. Um, and people are always fascinated by it, young, old, whatever. So if you're walking around campus, I think a this is ground mod or laptop mod or whatever is, is like perfect. Yeah, I got stopped in a sports authority carrying mine. Did you? Yeah, and and one of the one of the ladies that worked there was like, "I love this. I need to know. Like, this is awesome. Can I see it?" So I opened it up and showed it to her, and she's like, "What's the company?" She was like taking notes now, and really? then I was like, "You know what? This is ground. If you would send That's me like Instagram. referral cards to send out, like, then I'm I could give them a card for people I don't know personally because I can't send them a referral email. I could give them a card that ten bucks off. I could get a little whatever if some people buy stuff. So yeah, I mean I get I get and when I was at uh, you know AARSB on Atlanta, a ton of people you know were asking about it. Um, That's what I'm saying. So I think this I is perfect for academics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, gosh, I, you should really push that. Or make your own little cards, you know. I think I would just make my own little cards. Yeah, because you just got keep a, my mod and say, yeah, here, you know, here, go to this website. Here you go. That'll do. And it'll get you ten bucks off. Yeah. You know? No, I, I use your refer code, referral code when I bought yeah. that and my other insert. But yeah. So if, if I don't know, if you're an academic, we'll put a link to Thomas's affiliate code there. If you don't want to go to Thinking.fm and donate to the show, just go buy a mod and and uh, you'll save ten bucks and you'll give us a few bucks or give Thomas a few bucks. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. There you go. Affiliate marketing, one hundred one. Yeah, but right. Sam didn't know anything about affiliate marketing. No, not a bit. <laughs> what I do every single day. Um, guns. You want to talk about guns? Let's talk about guns. I not think just that's... guns. Not just guns. So uh, we'll start here as my segue, and uh, I should have done this. All right, so let's back up five seconds. So yeah, so go to you know go to uh, go to the show notes and click on that link and go buy something from this ground. So, Thomas, Star Wars is all the rage, right? It is. It's PG-13, you know? So that's okay. a little iffy. So I've got an eight-year-old girl who absolutely loves Star Wars. And I'm actually sitting at her desk because we're recording this uh, like 7.30 at, uh, on Thursday night. So I'm sitting here looking at all, all of her Star Wars action figures. And she's got stuff from, from the original, from the OG. Which regular listeners will realize, Sam, 
is during every show, basically. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's like every year, every other show. I'm sitting here at my daughter's house looking at all of our Star Wars. <laughs> I like coming up here. Um, uh, and we're putting together this, I was going to say big ass, uh, this large Lego set. You can hear it. It's, uh, I don't know how many pieces this thing is. It's the uh, 1,700 pieces. It's the fi- Death Star Final Duel with the Emperor and Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, where Darth Vader goes rogue and throws the Emperor into the pit uh, and turns to the light side. And that's one of uh, my daughter's favorite scenes. So we bought that Lego kit, and we've been slowly getting that together. But people have been complaining, uh, as people do on the Internet, about some of the violence in Star Wars. And we won't go into the spoilers, whatever. Go see the movie. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's some violent parts, and there's one part that's especially emotional and i was wondering how my eighth grade my eight-year-old would handle it and she did well with it you know it it, it wasn't little small ewoks or, or teddy bears killing stormtroopers you know like this was a, a a kind of a gory scene and there's blood there's red blood in star wars for the first time so um as a dad i kind of felt you know a little tension there I'm like should should i take my daughter uh but i did and she rocked it and loved it. So I think in some way, <laughs> that's that's one segue. In some way, we as Christians <laughs> have kind of that tension with violence, right? Like, it's not that we enjoy it, but sometimes we feel compelled that it's a part of everyday life. And we have to, you know, either protect ourselves or we have to just say, you know, it's okay that um, this scene is, is here and this person gets killed because... You know, in the end, we know the good guy wins or the good woman wins or whatever. Um, but, you know, violence is a part of being alive in 2015, as it always has been. You know, we live and die, and there's rough times in between. But this current debate about religious liberty slash gun rights, uh, you know, we have the standoff on the Oregon Trail over there. Um, it just feels like there is a, a big schadenfreude of, of religious people thinking about responses to guns and violence and, and what's warranted and what's not warranted. Maybe. Yeah. Well, and, and president Obama just announced, you know, some executive actions that he's going to take, which when you listen, when you have, if you don't listen to what everybody's saying about what he said and you just listen to his speech, you're like, Oh, you're not. So like, you're not really doing that much. Like, okay. More background, a few more background checks. Not many more, really. No, it's Ted Cruz says Obama checks. wants your guns, Thomas. He wants, he wants and then he's to my like, house and take my 9mm. We're going to do a better job enforcing the laws we already have. And we're going to like do more with like gun, uh, like technology, safety technology type stuff. But I mean, God anyway. forbid someone on the, you know, federal terror watch list not be able to buy a gun. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yeah, so, I mean, so the interesting thing, and, and there was some stuff that, a conversation that for Sam and I began um, back in 2015, I mean, a really long time ago, you know, like two weeks or whatever. Um, and <laughs> Way back. Um, but about this, this kind of movement within some uh, parts of, you know, evangelical Christianity, the, the connection between some aspects of evangelical Christianity with, um, like, gun ownership, uh, I don't know, like, gun rights, right, this kind of a gun culture. So you have the president of Liberty University urging students to arm themselves um, 
in a a very kind of a racist way, right? You know, you know, if we would arm ourselves, then we could stop those Muslims, basically, he says. Um, but so you have that, and then you have all these other discussions about, well, so should that be kind of the Christian response and all this? And then, um, and then you get John Piper's response, which is a little bit kind of surprising, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, John Piper, um, that was basically like, no, not at all. Christians shouldn't be encouraged to arm themselves. But so there's this back and forth, right? And then the question is, and I guess this, I'm thinking about this because of what I wrote on the Oregon uh, stuff, but there's these kind of dueling uh, realms of authority, right? Or appeals to authority. And on so the one hand, you can make appeals to the text, and people on different sides of this are making appeals to the text, some of which are saying, oh, well, look, you know, Luke 22, Jesus says, go buy a sword. Uh, and then others will say, oh, but, you know, Jesus says, turn the other cheek or so kind of which text is most authoritative. Right. And then if you and then kind of getting into the point that you were saying earlier about kind of how, you know, the relationship between violence and and um, particularly early Christianity, but how it's been drawn out into kind of modern Christianity is the apocalyptic nature of it all. Right. That violence is OK is because we know that in the end, we the good guys. Right. Because nobody really classes themselves as not the good guys, that we the good guys are going to win. That, you know, as um, as Bob Dylan, you know, saying about with God on our side. Um, and so you have this, you know, that's very violent apocalyptic literature um, and kind of how how is the tradition wrestled with that? And it's been an interesting conversation to kind of see unfold. Well, it's it's always been that tension in, uh, for Christians because we like to think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, and we think of gen uh, Jesus as the gentle Galilean, and he was a pacifist, and he turned the other cheek on the Sermon of the, on the Mount, and he was the opposition of Rome, so Rome was warlike and used swords and weapons, and Jesus, you know, said no, no, just let them hit you, um, according to one eisegesis, and the other one is, well, you've got the fluke passage, and Paul talks about having arms and, and a shield and a sword, and there's that language, as you said, throughout early Christianity, uh, especially in, with the patristics of um, arming yourself, but, you know, in terms of faith, but also, well, you know, it's okay, because if the Muslims attack you, you need to be able to, to attack them back. Um, so, yeah, that, that part in Luke 22 is really interesting uh, for a number of reasons, but uh, the, the quote goes something like this. Um, he's funny. Yeah. And he said to them, when I uh, sent you out with no, bunny, with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. And then he said to them, Jesus, talking to the disciples, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and go buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he who was numbered with the transgressors which is important. So he, he was numbered with the transgressors, right? Right. That's from Isaiah. That's yeah, uh, what I think it's Lestai or whatever in Greek. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, uh, here are two swords. And he said to them, that's enough, <laughs> which I, I love. Um, yeah. yeah. The Isaiah passage uh, is Isaiah, I believe 56 uh, there when he's Jesus is, is numbering. Is it saying he's going to be numbered with the transgressors? And yeah, Isaiah fifty three twelve, um, and uh, it was Preston Sprinkle, I believe, in, in his blog post on Pathios, yeah. uh, says now Rome only crucified those who were a potential threat to the empire, 
for Jesus to be crucified, Rome would have to convict him as a potential revolutionary, which, you know, it says in the text he was crucified between two revolutionaries, not thieves. So therefore, you know, he was probably considered a revolutionary. And this is the point of the swords. With swords in their possession, Jesus and his disciples would be viewed as potential revolutionaries, and Jesus would therefore fulfill Isaiah 53 and be numbered with other revolutionaries or transgressors, which that word means uh, similar things there. If Rome didn't have any legal grounds to incriminate Jesus, there would have been no crucifixion, no resurrection, and no Christianity, perhaps. Uh, so it, it's at the root of Christianity, if you will, um, historically at least, I, I think. And I think the gospel writers, if I'm going to go off on my own 8 o'clock at night ramblings with no substantiation or backup, I think the gospel <laughs> writers have you know, full knowledge of a tradition where Jesus was considered a, a revolutionary, and they have to do something with that uh, because you have turned the other cheek on one hand, and then you have his uh, followers carrying swords. Um, so what do, you, what do you do with that? You, you wrap it into one and you throw in some Isaiah and in good Luke fashion that, you know, all turns out to be the way it should have been. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so did the followers of Jesus have knives and, and, uh, and swords on their, on their sheets, <laughs> on their sides? Like, uh, was it, um, what's his name? Raz, uh, Razzlin, uh, the guy who wrote the book Zealot. Oh yeah, uh, Reza Aslan. That's it. yeah, yeah, Reza Aslan. Yeah, yeah. Mind yeah. blank there. Reza, I think it's Aslan. Yeah, yeah. Fun book. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, and you have so I mean, Del Martin's uh, article in Journal for the Study of the New Testament, Jesus in Jerusalem, armed and not dangerous, makes the argument that Jesus was arrested because uh, at least he and his and probably his disciples were armed within the city walls or whatever. Um, and, you know, this during Passover and all that type of stuff was reason enough to arrest them and that you only needed to arrest Jesus, the leader, because you kind of cut the head off and then you don't have to arrest everybody else. Um, there's been some responses to this in other people who said, oh, Martin doesn't make any sense here. Um, I heard Martin give this talk actually here at Florida State um, and then I've read the article. Uh, I, I think it's fairly convincing. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that. Yeah. So, what do you what do you do with it? I guess is the question. Or were they armed? Uh, it, it it's two separate it kinda, questions. You know, it doesn't really thing, matter I, if he was armed. But right, but but when you read Luke, it seems clear that Luke is doing something rhetorically with this passage, right? That uh, like Luke's trying to clean it up a little bit. Where it's like, oh, no, two's enough. Like, then we'll just fulfill the prophecy and we'll move on. Um, which is kind of like, okay, we have to deal with the fact that, you know, maybe at that point that, you know, maybe at the time that whoever is putting Luke together, um, maybe it's kind of common knowledge that Jesus and his disciples were armed. Right. Well, and not just it's armed, like, but they had to deal do, with this. Yeah. Well, and they had to do something with those arms, you know, because everyone was armed in the ancient world. Right. Just like we're all armed today to some extent. Um it wouldn't have been uncommon to have a long knife or, you know, some kind of device that would have been interpreted as dangerous. So, uh, you know, did, did Jesus and his Mary band of followers and perhaps, you know, some other people who got crucified, uh, lead something like an armed, uh, you know, takeover of, of a federal property in Oregon or, or the temple, you know, like were they, were they <laughs> marching in there and saying, Hey, we're taking the temple back, uh, throwing over the tables, you know, those traditions that 
you know, kind of seep down into history? Was there some sort of knowledge or, or, or awareness of Jesus being considered, uh, you know, revolutionary because he actually was trying to be a revolutionary? Right. Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I agree with Del Martin there. And, and there are a number of scholars. It's not just Martin, of course. But, right. uh, yeah, I actually had the pleasure of uh, – I don't know if I took a class with Del Martin when I was at Yale, but um, – uh, it certainly was, you know, in, in his presence. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love that the hypothesis. I, I think that's a, a wonderful path. What does that do for us in 2015? Um, I mean, I, I, I've never been comfortable with the, the Prince of Peace figure where, you know, Jesus was kind of this Gandhi-like pacifist because it doesn't explain the crucifixion. Um, you know, no one gets crucified for being nice. Uh, and <laughs> and I think right. there's, you know, there's enough of the tradition that, that – shows us something happened there and these early uh church fathers and these early uh, uh gospel writers are, are trying to deal with that some better than others and they're all kind of different uh so you know clearly there's something in the history um on the other hand i don't think that gives us as christians in 2015 the ability to say well see jesus was trying to overthrow the temple so therefore it's okay for you know a group a group of uh armed guys to go take over federal property with their guns because they're trying to take back their their life or their religion or their country or whatever. But, yeah, okay, so that's, that's in the same way in the same way that we're we're not Jews, right? So Jesus was a Jew, do we have to be Jewish? Well, it depends on who you ask, right? right. Um but but I, I think what you said there's interesting because like that's the like so it's going to be different for every everybody, right? But if for a lot of people, right, they're, they're kind of popular movement, you know, in the past few decades, they're like, being a Christian means, like, following Jesus, right? This kind of, we don't like the institutional stuff, even though everything we're doing is very institutional. But we're just followers of Jesus or whatever. Then if you say, like, okay, you know, Jesus is like this peaceful guy, we're going to follow that, and we should follow his example, and we should be that too, then like that's okay but then if you say well actually jesus probably wasn't that peaceful he might have actually had you know designs on kind of an armed overthrow of the roman government expecting maybe like the um the um potentially essenes if we can call them that out of qumran um you know expecting that he was ushering in the end of this age and the beginning of the age to come and that, you know, the armies of God would come and fight on his side. You know, maybe that's what he was expecting. That seems to be what happened at Qumran and they went out and I guess the armies of God yeah. didn't show up. Right. Um, uh, so it, it was in the water. I mean, it was, it was nothing unique that Jesus and the revolutionaries would have been doing. Right. But so if we say that Jesus is doing that, if we're saying like historically, we think that's more accurate than this kind of peaceful picture that gets painted of Jesus much later, then why would it not be okay for somebody who says, I'm trying to follow the example that Jesus gave us to say, you know, Jesus said, go buy a sword. I'm going to go buy the 21st century version of a sword, which happens to be an AR-15 or whatever, and I'm going to stand up for my rights. Yeah. Or whatever I think, like, I mean, this is what I wrote about, about Amon Bundy in Oregon, right? I mean, he very clearly believes that he's on a mission from God, right? He talks about, you know, how he was, you know, he was, he's been guided by God to do everything that he's done. And it's, you know, he very clearly understands what he's doing in this, um, 
and this, you know, within this religious discourse of, you know, being led by God to do this. And it involves uh, at least threats of violence, if not actual violence. I mean, I think he's ready and prepared for actual violence, um, but he hasn't, I don't think, engaged in that so far. Yeah. And as we do this, uh, the president is taking the stage for a live town hall on gun violence. Right. Uh, and put out his op-ed in the New York Times. There'll be a link in the show notes. But also, go read Thomas's post about uh, the Bundys and, and uh, what, he, what, what he just was talking about. But I think the, the point of your post, <clears throat> I'm sorry, your post on marginalia that really tweaked my interest was how you laid this out as a, um, almost like Paul versus the Jerusalem church type conflict. <laughs> um because there's there's been a lot of speculation about the role of of Mormonism, uh, you know, within this whole situation. Right. And Bundy is basically kind of playing the role of Paul and saying, no, no, I had a vision. God told me this. Um, All right. It's it's an appeal to direct revelation. Right. Which, which is, is what different Paul did. from like the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is saying right. that this is not founded in Scripture. And so they're they're making separate appeals to authority, which I think is kind of fascinating. And it, and it's like Paul did, right? Paul was like, oh, y'all can say whatever you want to, but my gospel is better because it's not of human origin. Because I had this, you know, this experience on the road to Damascus, this vision of Jesus, and so I'm better than all of you. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's the the crux of Paul's argument in Galatians, right? So. Right. Well, and then you have that wonderful scene in Acts uh, again, Luke, or the author of Luke is writing about um, this wonderful scene where the church is still, or the followers of Jesus, the way, is still centrally located in Jerusalem for the most part. And uh, they get into a, a, a little dust-up with some of the residents there. Everyone's a Jew, but not everyone is following Jesus at this point, of course. <laughs> so uh, was it Peter and, and who else? Was it Stephen who get dragged before the Sanhedrin in Acts? Acts like 10, I believe. James and Peter. Was it James? Okay. I think it's James and Peter. Yeah. So uh, they get dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, and, and they have the big hearing, and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And it's you know it feels like they're going to stone them, because that would be the obvious thing to do. So I think the author of Luke Acts is trying to explain why the early church didn't you know end up just dying in a hailfire of, sto- of stones. Um, and you have the Rabbi Gamaliel, or not Rabbi yet, but you have Gamaliel who stands up and basically says, look, if this thing is a thing from God, then it's going to make it, and there's nothing we can do about it. If it's not a thing from God, it's going to pass away like all these other, um, you know, pseudo movements have, like like the Judean from Egypt, or this guy, or this guy, um, who tried to lead uh, the, these groups, and the same here, same thing here with this Jesus of Nazareth. Um, so let's, let's let God decide that, and they let him go, and everything's good, and God wins. Um, so uh, I, I compared you to, to Gamaliel on, yeah. on Facebook because I thought <laughs> I thought what you you know what you did and bringing in that notion of uh, you know whose authority are you going to uh, believe uh, or whose appeal to authority are you going to believe uh, it is a major issue and again with with gun violence it's the same thing it's I mean I, I'm a gun owner I own guns I've, I've grown up around guns I have a, not a lot of guns but I have you know more than one. And I, I don't necessarily participate in gun culture, but I do have like a concealed carry thing, and I, you know, I like to have my guns. Um, 
and and for me that's always been a, a thing of internal tension because I would never use it on another human being and I don't think I would use it even I mean maybe in self-defense but you know, I've been trained in such a way that that's not what that's for you know um but why else would I carry a pistol? <laughs> you know, like what's right, yeah. what are you going to do yeah. with a pistol, Sam? You're going to shoot a stormtrooper? No, you're you're going to you're going to shoot a bad guy. Um. So I I think we've I don't know it's it's been amazing for me to see the the transition and, and the national conversation because again I grew up on a farm in South Carolina uh, when I was in high school everyone had a gun rack <laughs> right in their truck yeah. uh, and we would all go hunting before school and we would show up in school in our hunting clothes yeah right and you had your gun rack and you had your gun in the back of the truck at school um, and then like senior year I believe they said please don't do that anymore uh, so we stopped doing that and please don't show up in clothes that have blood on them from you know when when you skin the deer outside in the parking lot <laughs> right you know at six o'clock a.m. after you shot the deer at five and you're like well, what else are you gonna do um, it was a big deal. Uh, so all this to say, um, it, for me, it's always been a part of my culture to have big knives and guns and all that stuff. And not that I, you know, I, I've eschewed lots of things that I grew up with, but for some reason that stuck. But my Christian side, the ordained Sam says guns are terrible and, and we should, you know, there's no reason for a, a, a civilian to have a firearm, but I don't really think that. You know, so it's that. But that you do, right? But yeah, do, right, that, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, there's that tension there. I think a lot of people probably feel that. And I, I mean, I saw a CNN poll. I mean, it's it's pretty snap. So we'll see how these numbers change. But apparently, like 62% or something of uh, the American public agrees with the steps that President Obama has. 67% of Americans back. Uh, the new Obama executive actions on guns. Yeah, totally, um, totally. So what I think is going to be, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this conversation changes. But I also think it's interesting kind of within the, not just kind of um, Christian subculture, but the evangelical Christian subculture to kind of see the split on this topic that honestly I was, I was a little surprised to see with, you know, like Piper being on a different side from uh, Falwell Jr. Um and I think that that you know this again is kind of a reminder to try to sh stay away from generalizations, right? Well, evangelicals are this, right? And I've and I've written about this too, right? Kind of the myth of the evangelical voting block that they all vote the same or whatever. Um, but you know, I think it's it's really interesting to see how because I mean this gun conversation is not going anywhere, right? It's only going to be ramping up. You've got Michael Bloomberg giving his fifty million dollars, you know, for gun control and things like that so you've got money coming in on the other side now um and it's this conversation is going uh to continue the rhetoric is going to heat up and i think we're just going to see more and more um religious discourse tied up in this rhetoric as well all right well we've got to close up here but let me just ask you a question and and we'll leave it um what do you think about the statements that Falwell Jr. and a number of people have made Ted Cruz, Donald Trump. Uh, if someone at Mother Emanuel during the Bible study had been carrying a you know, pistol or something, that you know slaughter of people might not have happened. Or according to those people who would say this, you know, if someone had been right. backing heat, you know, Dylan Roof right. would have been taken care of. Um, or, or like Falwell Jr. said, you know, let's get those Muslims before they get us. Right. 
I, I think um, with I mean, the Mother Emanuel situation, and, and there were a number of high-profile people making that uh, exact claim, I think that that is uh, blaming the victim to a large extent, which I uh, find very problematic. I also think that uh, what everything shows, the research shows that like more guns just lead to more deaths. And so no matter if people are trained or not, uh, you know, if somebody's going to try to be Rambo or something or, and save everybody, uh, typically what's going to happen is more people are going to get injured. Now, maybe not. Um, I mean, that was a particularly heinous situation. But say there's a situation where um, it's not that bad, but somebody does have a gun. Um, like the situation that was on my Facebook you know, feed from a few people this past week about a pastor. I can't remember where guy came in with a shotgun and a pastor talked him down and ended up converting the guy. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I did see the story. I well, didn't and, read it. Uh, yeah, it's, but, but if somebody said, Oh, I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to shoot him. Well, what's the chances you just shoot that guy and don't hit other people. Right. I mean, we had another situation in a, you know, a guy doing this in a convenience store and was going to shoot the robber and missed the robber, but shot into the apartment of somebody across the street and shot somebody else and, you know, all these other things. So, I mean, it's just, I think it's, it, it's a myth, right? It's, it's a, it's just um, this glorification of kind of this old West mentality and everybody kind of sees themselves as a hero. Um, and I, <laughs> well, it's I like in, in Texas, you know, this week they, they joined 45 other States, I think now that have the concealed carry program, uh, but one of their things is you can have a gun in a church or you can't can't have it at school. But you can uh, if you have your permit with you, you could e- even walk into the state house in Austin and you don't have to go through a metal detector. Uh, yeah, well, they are. Um, I mean, in, oh. in Florida right now, they're debating uh, allowing guns on campuses, uh, which I think is yeah. an absolutely horrible idea. Yeah, uh, as right. someone who's on campus with college <laughs> students, most of whom I think are great. Um, but all crazy. They, Every single college kid is a, is crazy. I'm sorry. It's true. Well, and I mean, we've had, I mean, Florida State, we've had a, we've had a ton of campus shootings, right? Florida State had one on our campus. Yeah, in that's our right. Library, that's true. Yeah. Right. We had that. We also had another one, you know, a, a kind of a, what ended up being like a domestic dispute seemed like where three people ended up getting injured. Like this is something we've dealt with as a campus. And when you mix alcohol and disputes and college students, a dispute that might be a fight or something like that and end up with somebody with a broken jaw or something uh, is not going to end up that way. It's going to end up with somebody getting their gun and it's going to end up with multiple people dead. Or the, um, uh, there's a church in Kansas, uh, I believe, where I'll try to find the link. Uh, we're, yeah, saw a I, yeah, I, think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, where they were having a uh, off campus. They weren't at the church, but they were having uh, firearm training basically with pistols and the instructor shot the pastor. Uh, yeah. Because he was, they were they were role playing a struggle, uh, but the instructor was using uh, not just a real gun, which I've never seen done. I've always used dummy guns in those situations. Well, I think um, he put that down and it picked up a real gun. But there's no reason to ever have a gun loaded. that was yeah, right. no reason to ever have that yeah. loaded in a in a training situation. No. Uh, so yeah, he picked up the wrong gun and shot the pastor. The pastor lived evidently, but um, I, I mean in Lexington, uh, we we had a one of the large churches in, in Lexington here in South Carolina, uh, where my wife is a pastor and n- not that church, <laughs> but another church, another uh, big church, um, said, uh, they were, uh, encouraging members who had concealed carry to, to bring their guns on Sunday morning, uh, you know, for security. And the response was positive, you know, judging by Facebook, which doesn't mean anything, but you know, people are like, yeah, you know, every church should do this. I mean, our, our little church had a, had a, 
you know, and we're we're kind of a, a liberal church in Lexington, South Carolina, where Dylan Roof grew up. So it's, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, oh gosh, you know, what happens if the word gets out about us and they find out that, A, we have a female pastor and we're welcome and affirming and, you know, we're, we're mixed gender and we're, you know, we don't really do gender stuff and we, we have black and white and Asian and, and there's a whole mix of people here. Um, you know, should we start locking the church doors on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights? Right. Um, and that was a very ser- serious conversation that we had, uh, you know, out of, out of safety and out of concern and rightly so. So all that to say, should the church be different? You know, should the church act like it's a business or, uh, you know, a state building where you have metal detectors and you have people who are trained to conceal carry and you might have an usher in the back who's packing heat um, or a pastor who's got his firearm under the, <laughs> under, under the pulpit? I mean, is, are we going back to that? Because I, I rapidly feel like we are in some cases and I, I, I don't feel comfortable with that at all. Um, but it, it feels like that's. Even though, you know, 70% of Americans might want, you know, want more stringent handgun control or whatever, it just feels like, uh, at least from the church folk around here, the, the, the sway is much more to that old, old West mentality of, of, you know, can't shoot me if I've got a gun. Right. So, anyway. Yeah, and so, and then the other question is, which Jesus are they going to follow? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like which version? And that's and that's which it's interesting. I think that's kind of what it all boils down to. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, you can find me on Twitter um, to tell me why I'm completely wrong about guns. Um, at Thomas Whitley. You can find Sam to tell him why he's completely right about guns. Uh, at Sam Harrelson, and you can find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm.